Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, as provinces struggle with rising COVID infections and vaccinations, some premiers are pointing the finger at Ottawa again. We'll hear from the Premier of New Brunswick and MPs will debate what more the federal government could or should be doing to get the third wave under control. On a day when federal health officials acknowledge the risks from the AstraZeneca vaccine but endorse its use anyway. And Canada's small businesses have been among the hardest hit casualties of the pandemic. They're calling for more federal aid and easier rules for getting it. We'll begin tonight with the latest worrisome developments on COVID-19 and the third wave in Canada. With cases still surging in many provinces, hospitals and ICUs overrun with COVID patients, stalled vaccine rollouts in several provinces and more finger pointing about who's to blame for that. In Toronto today, two hospital clinics were forced to cancel 10,000 booked COVID-19 vaccination appointments because they had no vaccines. And some premiers are blaming the lack of supply, which is the responsibility of the federal government. We don't have the supply. You know, that, that, you know if you, you want me to make up a story on, on some other reason, I can't. We need the vaccines. We're, we, we proved you give us the vaccines, we'll start rolling out over 100,000 a day. And if you give us more, then it gives us more flexibility, more certainty, more opportunity when we're ramping up to... Uh, uh, 1,200, 1,400 pharmacies, we could ramp up to 3,200 uh, pharmacies. And if each pharmacy even did 100 a day, that's 320,000 uh, vaccines a day. Um, we need the supply, as simple as that. I just think that um, in, in terms of maximizing public uh, willingness to get inoculated, we need a reliable stream. The more inconveniences, hurdles, cancellations and delays there are, I think uh, the more people who might just uh, wait or, or opt out. And that's that's frustrating for us. The whole vaccine rollout, I, I think, has been challenging with respect to the erratic supply and not enough supply that has been uh, provided to uh, to any of the provinces. Uh, we're you know running out here again uh, this week as we just as we start to receive a little bit more. And we haven't brought our pharmacies on, so we have a much more capacity than uh, than even what we've shown uh, thus far. In the House of Commons today, the Prime Minister was defending the government's record on vaccine supply against opposition attacks. Mr. Speaker, once again, 300,000 doses of the Moderna vaccine that the government promised for Ontario last week have not been delivered. The Prime Minister says from time to time deliveries have not come. He's also months behind the developed world, Mr. Speaker. Mass vaccination clinics are closing in Ontario. Schools are closing in Ontario. The severity of the third wave in Canada lays at the feet of this Prime Minister. When will he admit he has failed Canadians? The Right Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, we see that whenever the Leader of the Opposition has a chance, he goes to disinformation and misleading Canadians. We are not months behind the developed world. On the contrary, we are now third in the G20 when it comes uh, to delivering vaccines to Canadians. Uh, we will continue uh, to ensure that vaccines flow and we will continue to keep our partners in the provinces and territories apprised of delivery schedules, of delivery delays like we do see uh, 
of a few days here and there on Moderna. We will continue to deliver Pfizer on time uh, and all the other vaccines as quickly as we possibly can. When we get them, we send them to the provinces immediately. So what we are seeing in the vaccine rollout in uh, Canada and at least some provinces, uh, blaming the federal government for supply issues and the federal government saying, look, yeah, there have been some hiccups, supplies coming, but there's problems with provincial rollout plans. Let's bring in Blaine Higgs. He's the Premier of New Brunswick. He's uh, with me now. Premier Higgs, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me. You're very welcome. Look, uh, let me just start with your province. How's the vaccine rollout been going in New Brunswick? Well, it, it, you know, it is a little sporadic because of supply. I, I get that. But we have ramped up with, with, with uh, pharmacies and with our, our regional health authorities. And, and, and we could do probably twice as many vaccines as, as we are currently putting out because of supply. But I think, you know, the, the, the concern has always been continuity so that we knew what was coming and we could depend on it. So when you ramp up uh, pharmacies, you make appointments uh, or in communities or wherever, you can actually just follow through with that. So, so that's why continuity is an issue. But I appreciate the, the difficulties in getting vaccines, but I, I remain optimistic that we'll see more availability from the U.S. in the coming weeks. They seem to be ramped up and ahead of schedule, and, and I know they've had some delays with Johnson & Johnson, but uh, the president seems to be still on track with where they are. So. I'm hopeful we'll see a step change there in supply in the coming weeks. Some of your concerns, other premiers, particularly Premier Ford, Premier Kenny, have been a little more uh, pointed in their criticism of uh, Ottawa's vaccine procurement. Uh, you, you seem less so. Uh, there have been, you know, if you have delays from, and everybody's talking now about the delay in the shipments of Moderna, if you have delays from the supplier, um, and, and I, I want to be careful around a conversation around blame, but if you have de delays from a supplier, um, I, where does the fault lie if we can't get them to Canada quickly enough? Or, or how do you see it? You know, I, I, I think that's a, it's a fair comment that you, you, can, uh, you can't fix everything and if the suppliers have difficulty, then, then it is what it is. But, but it does come down to how many do, do we have committed to begin with. And, 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 uh, and I think we've seen countries that, uh, that maybe went all out there and said, well, we're going to just bet on a horse here and we're going to get supplies. And Israel would be an example of that. But, but I, I guess I, I just say that yeah, I appreciate that. My colleagues are in a bit of a different situation than we are here. Everyone is being a bit anxious about getting the vaccine. And what I mean by that is everybody wants one or we're getting lots of demand. So they're, they're anxious. They want to get back to normal. But, I mean, we've seen some outbreaks, certainly, in, in my, my colleagues' uh, neighboring provinces um, in Quebec and Ontario and, and West that, that are, you know, would create additional angst. So, so you can appreciate the pressure that exists there. We've seen an outbreak in the northwestern part of the province. At this point, it's very much contained. Mm -hmm. We're vaccinating higher levels there. We're at 30% there, and the rest of the province are around 20 or 22% of the population. But, but I, I just remain optimistic. I'll stay focused on additional supply. That was the context of our first minister's meeting this past week. Um, and, and, uh, and, and the point of saying to, to the U.S., you know, you look to be in a position of having additional supply because of your domestic capabilities. Uh, we are a neighboring uh, pro uh, country that we all mutually benefit from being open and in the same position. So I would like to think we get some preferential treatment as a country, as a nation that's the closest trading partner to the U.S. and right. connected in so many ways through families even. Uh, so that, that, that you say, is, has come up in your conversation with the Prime Minister. Has, has there been an appetite in your conversations at the federal level to... To, to go that route and get on the phone with the U.S. and say, look, yes. you got, if you've got yes, 20 indeed. million doses sitting there, we'll take them. Exactly right. And that was mentioned today 
certainly in our SMR discussion, uh, Premier Ford mentioned that. But but that's right. If you got 20 million sitting there, we'll take them. We'll, and everyone that could get a vaccine should take it. And, and so I, I, I will remain optimistic that we're going to see a step change. But I am also very confident that with that reliability of supply, every one of us can ramp up our, our capabilities significantly. I know we can double. We're at around 30,000, 25 to 30,000 because of supply. We could go to 60,000. We think we could go even to about 85 or 90,000. Right. But, but, but we but, could easily double. But, but are, so to be clear, are, are you of the view that it's the delay in vaccine supply and procurement from the federal government that's the main problem? Or as uh, some federal MPs and cabinet ministers have been uh, clear in pointing out, uh, look, we, we're, we're getting doses to the provinces. They're not putting them in arms fast enough. Um, well, I would say if you look at the continuity of supply, the provinces are able to roll out the vaccines in whatever level of vaccines that they get in a continuous run. If it's interrupted and if it, you know, it's hit and miss, then in some cases, like you said with Moderna, if they if they aren't able to supply and they've had a production problem, yeah, that disrupts the whole supply chains and it creates problems in a province too to, to be uh, where the supply is going to go and, and to be continuous in the delivery. But I would say overall, certainly, if we had more vaccines, if we had 20, 30 percent more vaccines in our province right now, in our country right now, they would get into arms very quickly. OK, there have been some suggestions, and, and I, I think we're starting to hear them more frequently now, that uh, the federal vaccine supply should maybe go to harder hit regions in Canada. That, that might mean fewer doses for New Brunswick to uh, pump more doses into the province of Ontario for some of the hard hit parts of that province. What do you think of that idea? Well, we are doing doing that internally. Uh, we're actually, um, in New Brunswick, we're putting more vaccines into the Edmiston region. As I said, we're about 10% higher there in our vaccination levels. We're focused on the borders uh, and people that are crossing and, and to get them vaccinated quicker on the central service side, like truck drivers, to, we need them vaccinated. Um, you know, I think we do need to look at every situation in, in, in different provinces, but at this stage, we really don't have the vaccine supply to, to really do that without having a risk in, in other provinces. Um, so we're working with what we have, and, and each province is by themselves right. uh, putting their but resources. So, so to be, into but the to be clear, you're not, you're, you wouldn't be in favor of a plan that says, "Look, uh, uh, you know, New Brunswick's got a better hold of the third wave than Ontario does. So let's send more doses of vaccine meant for New Brunswick to Ontario instead." Not on. Well, I don't think at this stage it's it's a possibility, but I, could it be future? I mean, we have our own lockdown area right now, but could it be a consideration if our lockdown clears up and we, we see Quebec, which is kind of the main issue for us, um, being in, in trouble? Uh, could we have that discussion if we had lots of vaccines and, and, and we were in a good shape? I, I think it's one that we just shouldn't rule out. But right now, we're not in that position. All right, let, let's finish on this. You and your fellow Atlantic premiers have delayed the reopening of the Atlantic bubble until at least May 3rd. Do you, do you think that, is that a firm date or is that a moving date? Well, we're meeting again next next Thursday to discuss our, our situations in each province. And, and in, our, in my case, it'll be what the situation is in the Northwest. Um, but we delayed it for two weeks, saying May 3rd looks like the earliest. We'll meet next week again to discuss whether that needs to be pushed out. Or is there a possibility it could be pulled forward? But I would, I'd likely say May 3rd would be the earliest that we'd be able to consider. Right. And uh, it'll be kind of depend on our situation and if anything changes with the other provinces in the Atlantic Canada. But, but ours is the most immediate concern right now. Okay, uh, Premier Blaine Higgs, always good to talk to you. Thanks again uh, for taking time tonight. You're very welcome.
Okay, so we have provinces blaming the lack of supply of vaccines from the federal government for the delays in the vaccination process in some provinces. The federal government insisting, look, provinces are getting uh, the supply, so it's up to them to roll it out quickly. Is it time for the federal government to take a more hands-on approach to dealing with the third wave and the challenges facing some provinces? And if so, what more should Ottawa be doing? Let's bring in three members of Parliament to discuss that. Jennifer O'Connell is an Ontario Liberal MP, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Health. Eric Duncan is an Ontario Conservative MP and the Question Period Coordinator for the Official Opposition. And Don Davies is a British Columbia NDP MP and his party's health critic. Good to see you all. Uh, Jennifer uh, O'Connell, let me start with you. We heard from the Premiers of Ontario, Alberta, Saskatchewan and New Brunswick today, all once more lamenting the supply of vaccines from the federal government and blaming that for the delays uh, to, large, to a large measure in vaccinations in their own provinces. How valid is that criticism? Well, I mean, I think the point is that we have been delivering for Canadians, for provinces and territories. Originally, if you remember, we had anticipated delivering in March 6 million vaccines. We've actually exceeded that. And in March, we delivered 9.5 million vaccines. To date, we've delivered 11.7 million vaccines. And this week alone, we anticipate another 1.9 million vaccines. So I understand there is some local frustration, but the point remains, not only are we delivering the vaccines, we actually have been exceeding those targets and we've been keeping provinces and territories in the loop every step of the way so they can make these local okay. planning decisions. I mean and that's what we'll continue to, to do. Mr. Duncan, we've also seen conflicting information that shows provinces have supply but can't seem to get it administered quickly enough. But we've also seen today two hospital clinics uh, cancelling 10,000 vaccination appointments because they have no supply. What's the problem here as you see it? miscommunications and not delivering on their promises. The, the, the goalposts the Liberals have set for themselves is very low. They say, oh, we promised this and we delivered. There are 300,000 Moderna vaccines that were to be delivered to Ontario this week that are being delayed. In Manitoba, Peter, they had the same situation where they had to go and make 27,000 phone calls to rebook appointments. They're not delivering the way and as smooth as they should be doing. So what we we, if, Moderna doesn't, world, if, if, if Moderna doesn't ship the vaccine, who's, whose responsibility is that? How do you, you know, if you're planning to get the supplies and they're a week late, uh, how do you fix that? These go back to volumes, though, Peter. We're 62nd around the world when it comes to uh, vaccination rates. We're behind. We look at the U.S. and the U.K. When you have larger volumes, you get more people that are vaccinated. And again, we're seeing now a direct correlation between this third wave because we haven't had the volume of vaccines. So the Liberals say, oh, we had a goal of six million. It's nowhere near enough. We need to go off what okay. the U.S. or U.K. model should be. And that's why it's just complete chaos and, and missed, you know, not delivering. And again, Ms. those... That goes back to contracts and guarantees okay, let, that let me, the government should have been securing for companies. We'll circle back to some of that. Mr. Davies, what more should the federal government be doing to ensure the vaccine rollout's moving more quickly in the provinces? Well, I remember last October, Peter, calling for a national vaccination plan as the U.S. was developing, and they had one in place last November. Uh, you know, I remember Prime Minister Trudeau saying we needed a Team Canada approach. We needed all hands on deck, and I, I, I think that's where the breakdown has come, is instead we've gotten into this finger-pointing blame game. It's like Prime Minister Trudeau's in a plane flying over a burning country and pointing down and saying, well, this is the province's responsibilities. Canadians aren't aren't interested in that. They want concrete results. So we need to use all tools at our disposal, and that includes setting up federal 
uh, vaccination sites. Uh, it includes um, having a, a national vaccination plan, like other countries are doing. Uh, Germany is doing it now. Uh, other federal states are recognizing that this virus uh, doesn't recognize borders and that you need a coordinated national response. And to Jennifer's point, you know, uh, it can't be that there's a third wave in Ontario and Quebec and Alberta and BC, and it's all the premier's fault. This is this is something that uh, has to uh, has to be recognized as a national uh, problem, right. and I think we need the federal government involved more so than they've been. To let me let me sure. come, let me go back to Jennifer O'Connell. L let's look at where we are, uh, Jennifer O'Connell. Canada now has a higher per capita infection rate than the U.S. We have vaccination clinics shutting down because they don't have supplies. Uh, less than 20% of Canadians have had their first shot of vaccine. We have children's hospitals now in Ontario caring for adult patients because the hospitals are overwhelmed. Um, you know, Canadians are, are wondering what's happening here. Uh, what can you tell them? Well, I think that that's precisely why our government has been um, asking Canadians to continue uh, to do the hard work that we know is needed because of these variants of concern. And I mean, in fairness, the last time I was on this panel, we were here because the Conservatives were saying, let's just reopen. And in the UK, if you use that as an example, they are ahead in terms of vaccination rates, but they are actually going into a third wave and additional lockdowns. And it's because we need to make sure that um, we are delivering on vaccines and that Canadians are getting the vaccines they need. But, to, but, but we to Mr. also have to have to Mr. Davies' point, mm -hmm. should the government be considering, look, if, if, if the provinces are struggling, let's open federal vaccinated, federally operated vaccination clinics in the, in, in the provinces, I think is what Mr. Davies saying. And, and I mean, the provinces might not like that, but should we be thinking about that? Well, I think let's look at our track record. When provinces said we need more PPE, we procured it, we delivered it. When they needed rapid tests, we approved, procured, and delivered. When they needed lab capacity, we opened up federal uh, capacity for, for lab. Right, but now we they're saying they need more vaccines. Vaccines, exactly. And that's why okay. we've delivered even more than we had originally anticipated. And we're not going to stop. Mr. Dun Mr. Duncan, should there, be, should there be a larger federal role here, uh, to Mr. Davies' point? Uh, if the provinces are struggling, does the federal government now move to step in and say, if you're having trouble, we'll do it for you? Well, and I, I think they need to be there in a leadership role to do that. At-home testing, like the United Kingdom, if there is at-home tests or rapid tests procured, they should be offering what the UK does at home for those who want it. There's other tools and other strategies. They've been late to the game on many of these things. And Peter, I've spoke before, my frustration on rapid testing and the approval process there. Mm -hmm. And other countries, again, are light years ahead of us. We need to be checking on ICU surge capacities going on right now. But frankly, just keeping to their delivery dates at a very minimum and conflicting information. And I will just say, it, you know they're in the wrong direction. Say, well, look at our track record. They're not wanting to do that. The Prime Minister was referring the other day, saying the UK is in a third wave is absolute nonsense. Their cases are going down. The number of deaths, thankfully, are going down. They're okay. reopening, enjoying their pubs and restaurants. We're going in the absolute opposite Mr. direction. Mr. Davies, let me... a direct correlation. Okay, Mr. Davies, should the federal... This, we're starting to hear this proposed now. Should the federal government consider sending more vaccines to the hardest-hit provinces and cities, such as Toronto, and reduce the shipments, perhaps, to the Atlantic provinces, for instance, where the third wave is hitting, but less hard? 
Well, this again speaks to national coordination. I, I, I think it's a fluid situation, Peter, and uh, we do have to be nimble. Um, so I, I think that as the science emerges and as we see vulnerabilities emerge in different parts of the country, we've got to have the ability to respond to that. And that only can happen on a federal basis. And I, I do want to say that I'm not suggesting that the feds uh, do the vaccinations for the provinces. I'm suggesting they do them with the provinces. We need all hands on deck. And, you know, we had uh, Major General... But how Danny. willing do you think the provinces will be to say... I mean, that's essentially a, a concession that they're not able to do the jobs themselves. And uh, I don't think you're going to hear too many provinces suggest it's okay for the feds to come in and take over or join us in the vaccination process. How do you think that works? Well, you know, I, I, I'm not concerned about that, Peter. I mean, I, I think every premier wants their the citizens of their provinces and territories to get as many vaccinations as possible. And if it's done in a coordinated way, uh, where there's uh, quicker access to jabs, what premier would stand up and say he doesn't, he or she doesn't want that? Um, you know, I, I will say Major General Fortin came to committee repeatedly and told us that provinces were ready uh, to do the vaccinations. That's clearly not the case. And so the question for the federal government is, do they sit back and just let disaster unfold? Or do they step okay. in for Canadians? We have a larger responsibility very, to the Canadian public than we do to the premiers. Very quick Evo answers to very quick answers from Jennifer O'Connell and Eric Duncan. Should we be looking at apportioning vaccines, more vaccines to parts of the country where the wave is hitting hardest? Jennifer O'Connell. Well, we. Oh, thank you. Well, we are delivering vaccines as promised to provinces and territories, and NASI has provided guidance and advice in terms of the distribution to target, you know, vulnerable areas. And um, we hope that the provinces and territories will take that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm asking less, less, less vaccine, let's say, to Atlantic Canada and more to Ontario and Quebec. Well, I think as of now, we've provided the schedule to provinces and territories, and um, we're going to keep working with okay. them. And any premiers that have challenges, we will be there to support them and, and help them. Mr. Duncan, what, what's your view here in the last 20 seconds or so I have? going to be a very tough sell, I think, to start saying to one premier, look, you know, we're going to give up vaccines because vaccines we were told and are being, we're told until the prime minister says that's not the be all and end all now, but it helps uh, keep people safe yeah. and allows a reopening to get back to some form of normalcy to get through this. So to go to one premier and say, no, we're taking them and putting them somewhere else. I think we're starting now a dog eat dog world. We're starting to pit provinces against each other in resentment. This is the last thing that I think we should okay. be having when uh, what's going on. Thank it's just a, a terrible situation. Thank you. Thank you all for your time tonight. Uh, we'll continue to follow this story as we do every day. Uh, thank, thank you all and take care. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Peter. Peter. Also today, federal health officials sought to reassure Canadians about vaccine safety after Canada's first reported case of blood clots in a Quebec woman who received the AstraZeneca vaccine. Health Canada says the blood clots may be linked to AstraZeneca, but the benefits of taking the vaccine outweigh the risks. So after completing the safety review, we've concluded that these very rare events are possibly linked to the use of the vaccine. This conclusion is consistent with that of other international regulators. And as a result, we've updated warnings on the label so that Canadians can be informed of these potential side effects. We didn't find any specific risk factors such as age or sex, so we are therefore not requiring that the vaccine label be updated to restrict the use of the vaccine at this time. Health Canada's findings are based on a sound and thorough review of all of the evidence that's available. In the very rare event that someone experiences unusual blood clots with low platelets, it's also important to note that they can be detected, especially if symptoms are reported early and that there are treatments available.
Well, Canada's small businesses have been among the hardest hit casualties of the pandemic. They are calling for more federal aid and easier rules for getting it as we move through the pandemic and with an upcoming budget. Corinne Pullman is Senior Vice President for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. You can see she joins me now. Uh, Corinne Pullman, thanks for taking time to speak with me. Good to see you. Thank you. Look, give us a sense of the landscape for small business as we speak in Canada today, try, trying to stay alive in the pandemic. What, what's been the ongoing effect and uh, of the pandemic and the restrictions on small business? Um, well, in a word, it's been extremely challenging, uh, if not dire for many small businesses. And the, the longer this goes on, the harder it becomes for many of those businesses. In fact, just today we released uh, some new data showing that the uh, small businesses are even less open and less close to getting back to normal sales than they were a month ago, uh, given you know increasing restrictions in many parts of Canada. In fact, only about 29% are even close to back to, to normal revenues. So we have a long way to go before many small businesses are going to be able to be back to what it was that they were doing right. pre-pandemic. And so as a result, we need to see um, the various types of support measures that have existed continue to move on and continue to be there as long as those businesses face restrictions. The most recent economic numbers, uh, you know, um, uh, writ broadly, suggest uh, there's, there's an organic economic recovery starting to take place in the country, but how uneven is it for small business? It's extremely uneven. There's no economic recovery happening right now among many small businesses. Certainly, there's probably some sectors that are doing better than others, but for the most part, um, the fact is over 70% of them are still not back to normal sales. So economic recovery has actually been backsliding over the course of the last month for many of those small businesses. And you have to remember, they represent half of Canada's economy. They employ like 60% of Canadians. So if they're not going to do well, that's going to have an impact right across the board. And so there may be elements of the, um, the economy that are starting to improve, but you're going to ask many small business owners and they would probably uh, tell you that um, from there, from where they're sitting, um, it's, there's still a long way to go. Let's look at some of the numbers in terms of federal support programs for business. And then I will use that as a jumping off point to continue the conversation. Federal wage subsidy program, it's provided $73 billion to 440,000 applicants. The Canada Emergency Business Account, it's channeled $46 billion in loans to 500,000 small businesses. And the rent subsidy for business has doled out $2.6 billion in supports. Um, how useful have those programs been? Because that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money, um, but they've been extremely critical. In fact, over 70% of our members are telling us that these particular programs, the ones you just listed, have been absolutely essential for their survival in 2021 and continue to be incredibly important. So when you're not able to make uh, revenues, you're not able to get the sales you normally get, uh, because you've been asked to close down your business through no fault of your own, we need to make sure that these supports continue to exist. And so we want to make sure as long as uh, the restrictions are there, those supports have to be there. And we understand we are also worried about the uh, growing deficit that this is bringing. But there's also a huge amount of debt being loaded on small businesses right now who really can't afford it. So it's, it's a real balancing act. We want to get our economy going again. We have to make sure we support these businesses to the other side. Right. So that, uh, that's what you want to see in the budget. You, but you have raised concerns about the eligibility requirements for these federal aid programs and how some new businesses, businesses rather, are being excluded. So, um, you know, you want to see continuing supports uh, when the budget comes out on Monday. But what about the eligibility requirements? What changes do you want to see? 
Yeah, the biggest one is uh, one you just touched on. It's new businesses. So any business that actually started prior to uh, March 1st, 2020, or sorry, after March 1st, 2020, um, they've actually not been able to access pretty much any of these programs at the federal level. And so they've, they've sort of been struggling for over a year now to sort of keep their business going. Like, think about it. If you started planning to open a business prior to March 1st, but because of, you know, logistics or whatever the case might be, you couldn't really open it till afterwards you're sort of stuck right now because none of these programs are helping you. And so we hear a lot from these businesses who are really struggling at the moment. There's also various small tweaks we still think need to be made to some of the programs to make them more accessible. Um, and so those are some of the things we're going to be looking for on that budget on Monday. Right. I mean, uh, to, to the issue of eligibility, the federal government has consistently replied here, look, we can't include new businesses that weren't operating when the pandemic hit because we have they have no pre-pandemic baseline revenues to compare losses to. So is that a valid uh, a reason for saying, look, we, we, we don't know, uh, we, we can't compensate them in these programs? Well, I think that we can find ways to be creative. We've certainly suggested things like looking at the industry average for that particular sector in that community and comparing it to what the industry average is. We've seen provincial programs in the meantime uh, become available and many of them are being offered to new businesses. So they're using different sort of criteria to help those newer businesses access those programs. So there are ways to do it and we're just sort of encouraging the government to be creative and look at ways that that can be done for, for newer businesses as well. All right, Kareen uh, Pullman from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. We'll look ahead of the budget uh, Monday and uh, see if some of your concerns are answered. Thanks for your time. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks again for watching. I'm Peter Van Dusen. See you next time.